Welcome to the Southern Ohio Synod podcast. I am Pastor Connie Menser, and I serve as assistant to the bishop for discipleship, leadership, and engagement, which means I'm responsible for candidacy and ministry discernment. I'm so glad you have joined us for our episode today. Welcome again to the Southern Ohio Synod podcast. My name is Pastor Bob Abrams. I serve as assistant to the bishop in the Southern Ohio Synod. Uh, and today I have with me uh, Mr. Ethan Roberts. Uh, Ethan uh, has a fascinating story, and we're going to be talking about God's work in his life uh, and uh, where that has taken him uh, in the past year, and uh, to hear a little bit about what God might do in in anyone's life, really, if we are open to the movement of the Spirit. And so, welcome, Ethan. Thank you so much for having me, Pastor Bob. You are most welcome. Tell me a little bit about uh, who you are and um, and what your church life ha- was like growing up, and what brings you what brings you today to this conversation. Absolutely. Well, um, as you said, my name's Ethan Roberts. Uh, I'm from uh, right here in central Ohio in the Southern Ohio Synod. I grew up in Lancaster, which is just about 40 minutes or so to the southeast of Columbus, and uh, grew up Lutheran there, going uh, to church and being uh, very involved every Sunday kind of family, Uh, but really taking faith uh, on as my own as I got into high school, uh, particularly uh, through the EOC youth gatherings and then getting more into the young adult ministries as I got older. I went to Capital University, which is a good ELCA school right here in Columbus, and studied political science and Spanish. I was also uh, there, continued to be involved in uh, the church and ministry, especially through Embrace, which is Capitals uh, Campus Ministry. And then I uh, graduated in May of 2022. And that August, I went uh, out and did Young Adults and Global Mission through uh, the OCA, uh, which is a year long service uh, learning program that takes young adults all over the world um, uh, to do mission work, but also to see God in a different way. Sorry, I was just going to inter- interject that I, I, I forgot another key part of that story is uh, spending two summers uh, working out west uh, in uh, camping ministry for the ELCA uh, with Rainbow Trail Lutheran Camp. You have studied, you studied political science and Spanish. You didn't spend your time focusing only on church. You You were being educated in uh, a different area, yet somehow you have been pulled or maybe pushed into doing deeper ministry type activities. Could you tell me a little bit about uh, how that happened uh, when it comes to the camping ministries out West? Well, yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting uh, you bring that up because I was just reflecting on that with a uh, friend last week uh, who's not Christian. And uh, she made a comment to me about being super religious. And I said, well, I'm not super religious. And then she said, look at your career. Look at all these things you do. And I sat there and went, oh, well, I guess I could see where it seems that way. And how you look at it on your own, right, is often very different from how other people see it. 
uh, ending up at Rainbow Trail is kind of a long story in that I had never heard of this camp at all growing up. was not a camp kid. Camp scared me. The people who worked at camps scared me. Not the way uh, I am on exactly. So uh, as COVID hit, uh, ELCA Young Adults launched a program called Abide, which is a nationwide small groups for young adults. This gets to how how's God moving, how's God arranging the story. I joined a group, uh, didn't know anyone in it, but a few of them had connections to this camp, Rainbow Trail. And they did distanced camp for the summer of 2020. So our group kind of took a break for that summer and then reformed that autumn of 2020. And a number of them just kept talking about what a great experience it is working at Rainbow Trail went on and on and on and said, you should apply and work here. And I said, absolutely not. For the uh, aforementioned reasons, that is not something I could or ever would do. But having just gone through the pandemic and lockdowns and all of those uh, experiences that we all had in different ways, uh, that winter kind of rolled around and the application was live. And I thought, well, I'll at least see what the application says. And looking back on it now, it's one of those things that I can very much remember filling it out, and yet at the same time think that couldn't have been me, right? I had all these preconceived ideas about what camp was. Um, I interviewed with them, got offered a job, and then uh, asked for a week to think about it and told them no. I said, I just, I, I can't take that jump. It's too big a step. I'm not going to do it. So... I told them no, and uh, they responded with, well, we're going to take that as like, you will not be coming out this summer, but if you have any change of heart in the next couple of weeks, give us a call. So that next morning, I woke up, it was a Saturday, and I just remember something saying, you're going to be there this summer. I could just feel it. I kind of went, oh, here we go, right? And so I just took a couple of days. And sat with that on my own. And then that Wednesday, I decided I will text them. And if the job is open, take it from there. And so I texted and said, uh, hey, can I give you guys a call? And they said, oh, please do. And then I was planning to go out to Colorado. What was that something, do you think, that was telling you that? I definitely think it was uh, the Holy Spirit. That kind of inner voice, inner conscious, deep inside, where all of a sudden you just know that's what's going to happen. Had you had you experienced that type of thing before in your life? Yes, I will say that I probably had. That's a very visceral moment for me in terms of it's like very clear. I remember okay. that one specifically. But even think about, um, you know, how I ended up at Capitol. Just kind of, I remember doing the interview there, uh, going through their kind of scholarship day and uh, of that program, and then thinking, oh, this is something that's going to lead to me being here. And in the back of my mind thinking, oh, maybe not. Maybe that's just not true. But then that's how it turned out. I feel like sometimes we hear that voice and we immediately, I don't want to say push it away, but kind of want to... Go other directions with it. So maybe, maybe a, a common human experience um, for for people of faith is 
to to dismiss that voice or Absolutely. to ig ignore it. Yeah, feel like it might be, in all honesty, locking you into something you don't want to do or you had not anticipated uh, turning out in that way. Again, you studied political science and Spanish. Yeah. What did you want to do with your life? That's a great question. What I'm still working on as a young adult. Uh, I think I have got into politics um, or like became fascinated with it as a child. Uh, I think like a lot of people probably my age or a few years older seeing uh, Barack Obama run for president the first time was a very transformational experience. In terms of, you know, as a kid, president was George Bush's first name, right? That was just who he was. But then seeing that there's this whole process and it can lead people to um, getting involved in ways that they never had before was really inspiring to me. And I like the competition side of it uh, in terms of how it worked with ideas and coming together and solving complex problems. So I always kind of knew I wanted to study political science more when I went to college. Uh, Spanish was something that I had done in high school and been average at, at best. Uh, but for the political science program at Capitol, you have to take two semesters of a foreign language. And since I'd done Spanish, I thought, well, this is something I can knock out quick. And I ended up doing very, very well at it. And the two professors I had, uh, Professor Delgado and Saunders, um, they couldn't have been lovelier people. And so I thought, well, this is something I could stick with. It's a skill I could use in any area of life. And I always think back on um, Profe Delgado saying that there's nothing more comforting to a person who's in need than hearing you speak in their own language. And I thought that's kind of a superpower, right? That's something I would like to have no matter how it plays out. You sense this call to go to out west to, to the camp, to mm -hmm. the Rainbow Trails. Yeah, uh, could you could you tell me a little bit about how that experience played out and how it fit in with that sense of call that you had to go? Absolutely. So as I said, uh, I, I waffled on them before saying yes, and then I was a bit almost, I would say, resigned to it at first. Right? You've said yes. Go have this different experience. You learn something from it no matter what. Um, and then I got out there and it was like I'd found my second home in terms of you're with roughly 65 people on staff who are all your age, all going through similar experiences and are all either thinking about their faith or wrestling with it in a different way. And that was just overwhelming and seeing the difference that camping ministry makes in uh, kids' lives, especially, right? You know, this is one of those um, events where it can really have a long-term impact on whether they're involved in the church or, you know, take their faith seriously as they get older. And as I said, youth gatherings were a big part of my story. That happens every three years, right? Camps are there every single year doing programming for people. Um, I met many of my best friends that I'm still in regular touch with um, through this camp. Uh, some of the mentors that, as I'm thinking about a new job or as I was thinking about Yagam, are people I talk to 
from this camp. And in a really beautiful way, the youth gatherings I went to expanded my view of church in a certain way, right? But this did that at another level in terms of these are people I feel connected with even when I'm in my own pew on a Sunday morning and they're a thousand miles away. You keep um, using the word YAGM. Mm -hmm. It sounds like an acronym to me. Yes. What is that acronym? What does YAGM stand for? So YAGM is Young Adults and Global Mission, which is the program that uh, took me to England for my year of service uh, through the ELCA. Um, Currently, they're operating in six countries. I was part of the first cohort back after COVID. Um, And the program is, of course, about ministry, but it's also about service and seeing God in a different way, in a different context through people who uh, we don't interact with, whether that be culturally, socioeconomically. And uh, it's a really beautiful thing that the ELC offers. So you, you come home from camping ministry mm-hmm. with a political science and Spanish degree. Mm-hmm. What happened where you would put your application in to go overseas for the, well, the, the Yagam program? What happened? Well, so it's, in, it's interesting because so I did a summer at Rainbow Trail going into my senior year of uh, college at Capitol. So I came back, was very involved senior year, and knew that I wanted to do some kind of year of service. I felt like, for me personally, not doing whether it's YAGM, that was what I had applied for and really asked for. But of course, there's things like the Peace Corps or AmeriCorps. Um, uh, I felt like something wasn't right in my life if I couldn't take a year out, basically, and do service to others. And so I decided that Yagam seemed like a good fit, in part because I trust the church, right? I really trusted that this will lead to an experience that is meaningful and really fills me up in a certain way that hopefully leads to the next, you know, experience, next call, right? So I was thinking about that during senior year, applied for that during senior year, learned that I was going to be going to England in about March of my senior year. At the same time, I'd already said yes to going out Colorado again for another summer. So it was a quick turnaround in terms of I graduated, went home for two weeks, went to Colorado, came home for two weeks, and then got a plane and uh, moved to England. Did, did this come, this, this sense of needing to serve, Mm-hmm. Did this come as part of that inner sense that you had this movement of the Holy Spirit as you as you described it? Is this part of that? It's a really good question. Uh, I think yes. I think that um, not only does it come as something that like moved inside me, but I think we're very, you know, explicitly called to do. Uh, as by Christians, who? by Jesus, in terms of you know the work of God, very much is service to others. 
you know, loving your neighbor as much as you love yourself is very, very frequently played out through serving them. I'm fascinated by the fact that you, uh, as as this college-educated young man, prioritized the call of Jesus to love and serve others. And it sounds to me like this formation that you have described that you grew up with and this experience that you had of going to camp is all part of a larger movement in your life about who you are. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's our stories for all of us, right? We're all kind of mm. tapestries, if you will, that it's all being weaved together in a really beautiful way. And it's being layered with different people who are part of their own, you know, stories and tapestries. And it comes together to make something really beautiful. And it, as this tapestry is kind of unfolding for you, what did you expect about your trip to England, your year in England? What, what were your expectations before you went? It, it, was, it was really kind of a shot in the dark in lots of ways, Pastor Bob, in terms of I had met my supervisor, Andy, and uh, him, he was also the pastor at the church I was based out of once via Zoom for about an hour. Um, I knew that he you know, had a wife and I'd be living with him for a year. The congregation had been described to me a bit. I also knew I would have some other days um, of the week that I could plug in at different service opportunities. Uh, so a lot of it, honestly, was just trusting, getting on a plane in Chicago after our orientation and taking off. And I can quite clearly remember I had a long layover in France before I flew up to Manchester and flying over the English Channel and starting to see the English countryside below and thinking, all right, I really hope this works out. <laughs> I, I really hope, God, this is the right move we've decided. Um, because looking back on it now, I think of, oh, there's all these different points where it could have turned out in a different way. Um, I think that's where God is moving things, right? You talk about the camp. There's nothing I did that led me, other than saying yes to being in Abide, that hmm. got me in the group that had all these people with Rainbow Trail, that then got me to applying there to now thinking of, like, that's really key part of my life now. And the same way that applying for Yagam, as you go through their discernment process, you interview with a couple different countries they think you would be a good fit for. Um, I interviewed with the Argentina-Uruguay program and with the United Kingdom. And I thought, okay, I really want to go somewhere where I can use the Spanish degree, right? Yeah. Well, then they said, we think you'd be a best fit for the UK program. Not speaking a whole lot of Latin American Spanish there, right? But I went, okay, well, let's see about this. And so then I did the next interview process, and they gave me all kinds of options. They said, well, we've got some programs where you kind of work at a camp like you've done before, or you work at this kind of a service organization. And I went, Oh, well, uh, that doesn't really sound quite right. And then they said, what about this little church in the city center of Manchester? I had volunteers for a long time and something. And we went, oh, that sounds like something I could do. 
And then it opened up. And it opened up. What was the name of that church? Sacred Trinity Church. It's an yes. Anglican church. Um, they, uh, the Lutheran presence is minuscule in Britain. I believe there's about 10 congregations of that uh, across the aisle. So um, it was ecumenical in a really uh, neat way. When you, when you arrived in Manchester and you got off that plane, mm-hmm. what was your experience like meeting the people that you would be staying with and going into that first week? What, what did you see and what did you feel? So I got off uh, the plane in Manchester. Of course, it was raining. And uh, Andy picked me up from the airport. Uh, he had taken the train in. And he had thought that, uh, of course, I'd packed enough luggage for a year, right? So I had about 100 pounds of luggage. Well, only one of the bags had wheels. The other was a carry one. And he had thought, oh, right, I took the train in, so we're going to have to carry this through the city center. So the walk back to their house seemed like forever at first uh, night. I lived right in the city center with them. Um, Involved being flexible uh, is how I would say it started. So uh, I got to their house, and as I was taking the shoes off, uh, the doorbell rang, and uh, that was Andy's mother-in-law. Her name's Beverly. Everyone calls her Beaver. And so she walked in the door and introduced herself, and I hadn't even met Andy's wife, who was upstairs cooking. So I went upstairs, met Michaela, and then Andy said, right, take your bags upstairs, and uh, then come down and have something to eat. And uh, Michaela's making lasagna, and I said, oh, it sounds really good. As I was going up the stairs, Andy went, oh, did I mention that we're vegetarian? And I went, oh, no, you didn't actually. And Michaela wasn't very happy with Andy for that. But I said, hey, we'll be flexible. That's all right. And so then the next morning, I was jet lagged, but we were up in Adam and I went down to the church. And um, every Tuesday, they are part of something that's called Place of Welcome, which is a government program that incentivizes buildings to be open with tea and coffee and biscuits and cake and really just provides space uh, for people who are probably lonelier uh, to get together and have people to talk to. We don't put on a program during it. So I went there, met some of the regulars, and then Wednesday did a bit more exploring with Andy. And then every um, August, he and some friends uh, that they've grown up with and collected over the years uh, spend a week uh, camping at a festival called Greenbelt which is a uh, Christian uh, environmental political festival out in the English countryside. So I was off to that to spend uh, about four or five nights in a tent. So it was a very eventful first week, for sure. Definitely off the deep end. (laughs) And, And it seems to fit very much within your theme that I've been hearing from you of flexibility, openness to what may be where you are being called to go. I think flexibility is a key to enjoying life. Hmm. Not just a faith life, because of course we never know where God is going to open, call, push, nudge, however you think God works in that way. But um, outside of that, we never know what's going to happen. And if we're too locked in, you can miss a lot. 
And so I think part of that flexibility is, yes, being open to when someone says, hey, we're vegetarian, you can adjust to this, right? Saying, oh, yeah, absolutely. Or, hey, we're going to go camping for four nights and coming along, right? Sure. Um, but it's also holding things loosely in a different way. Hmm. Not not just, you know, not holding them, but holding it, holding your plans a little loosely. Leaving room for the spirit, perhaps. Absolutely. Absolutely. Did you find um, anything in this, this year there um, that became kind of your niche as a, a Yagam person? Did you find a ministry that you connected with particularly? Did you grow in an area that you didn't expect? Tell me a little bit about that. Of course. So just kind of looking at the work I did, um, it was always different each day almost. So uh, as I told you what kind of Tuesdays are at church, being open is a place of welcome. Wednesday was administrative. I did, you know, the notice sheet for the week and the MailChimp and all of that stuff. And then Sundays were worship services. Sacred Trinity has a traditional service um, at 11.15 in the morning and then a rotation in the um, evening. So first Sunday of the month is worship in the Teze um, style, which if you don't know what Teze is, it's kind of a reflective uh, service with quiet time candles, often repeating songs or chants. Uh, the second Sunday, we would do topic, where we would just talk about a topic. Uh, third Sunday of the month was Open Table, which is the UK's LGBTQ-friendly uh, network of services. Fourth Sunday was Bible. Pick a part of the Bible and discuss it. And if there was a fifth bonus Sunday, we would go to the pub. So uh, those were always good ones, too, socially. Uh, and then on Mondays, I worked at a local primary school, Friars Primary, with a, uh, their year five, which is our equivalent of fourth graders. And then on Thursdays, I was at a Larsh community home. Uh, Larsh is a French Catholic organization that's international, um, but provides community living for people with learning disabilities. So in many ways, uh, Sunday was what I was going to be most comfortable with, right? In terms of I'd grown up going to church and helping with services and those kinds of things. Um, everything else was a bit of a learning curve, though, right? And like on a Wednesday, learning how to do the MailChimp and get all the images sized right and becoming a pro with Canva, that's skills that very much translate to, you know, being back in America in a professional setting. Uh, but also on Thursdays at Larsh, two of the people I worked with primarily um, were nonverbal, learning to communicate and help them when they can't tell you um, what they need. Being with kids on uh, on Monday, you know, anyone who's worked with kids can tell you that that can be challenging at times or, you know, involves being on their level, being able to speak to them in a certain way. And even though I spoke English, there were still some cultural differences or things I would say that were different for them to grasp and having to redirect and be in their shoes. So I feel like I learned more than anything how to be with different sets of people um, in many different ways. Like I talked about on Tuesdays, we're open. Uh, Sacred Trinity was open to the community. They were 
the people who came in who are often living under bridges and are regularly uh, sleeping rough, as they say in the UK. At the same time, there'd be people coming in who are successful executives and really, you know, that just there to help, right? Trying to connect with both of their lived experiences um, in the same room during the same conversations. Um, I think that was a huge, huge thing for me to learn and get practice with, I think. That is such a wide variety of things mm -hmm. happening simultaneously. I was just going to add on there too, that Manchester is um, definitely the most diverse place I've ever lived in terms of it is going undergoing rapid, um, you know, growth and population uh, to give you an idea of uh, how much it's changing uh, sacred Trinity uh, and the church of England still uses a parish system. Um, so if you aren't familiar with that, it's kind of like there's a church for a certain geographic area, right? That's technically the church you're connected to. And when Andy started there uh, about 20 years ago, there was roughly 200 families living in the parish. It doesn't mean they were going to the church, but they lived in the area. Uh, now, 20 years later, there's over 10,000 families living in the parish, right? So population in Manchester is exploding. Uh, the church, or excuse me, the school I worked at, at Friars, um, for I was told about, about 20 years ago, uh, you were probably looking at a place that about 15% of the kids were immigrants or first-generation kids, and the rest were white British uh, students. Now, the school is about 30% uh, white British kids and 70% kids who are immigrants or first-generation uh, kids. So that exposure just to so many different global stories was really neat to live to. That's a, that's a breathtaking amount of, of change. Mm -hmm. What are some of the challenges you see the church or Christianity facing in Manchester? Well, I think a lot of people would say that England is about 25 to 30 years ahead of the states in terms of being a post-church society. And, you know, the expectation of being part of a faith community um, is still much stronger here than it is in Britain. Uh, Sacred Trinity does pretty well in terms of usually having about 30-ish people a Sunday. Sometimes, though, you'd have like an off one and there'd only be 15 other Sundays people would just really click and we'd walk in there'd be 60 people, right? I think that's a major challenge, and especially in terms of giving and keeping buildings open, these very historic buildings. Uh, I think because the Church of England is a state church in America, we just assume that means that the Church of England is, you know, the government's paying for everything, and that's not how it works at all, right? Uh, they are going through the same difficulties of how do we uh, upkeep historic buildings? How do we continue to provide services that are meaningful for people uh, with fewer people coming in and giving? Um, that's, I think, the biggest, uh, you know, kind of immediate crisis they're facing there. Uh, the Church of England also is very much wrestling with um, its inclusion of the LGBTQ community in a way that uh, the ELCA is 
had that fight over a decade ago. The Church of England is very much um, trying to, from my point of view, you know, keep everyone on the same page, which is difficult because the Church of England isn't just England. It's kind of the head of the global Anglican community. And it's just not internal, right? And there are discussions going on about that constantly that eventually you have to kind of, I think, pick a side one way or the other. And they're a bit, you know, hands tied at the moment. So I think those are the two things I saw regularly was parts of discussions regularly that uh, the church has to lean into, grow through, and really trust God through. And that, that's a great segue into what I was going to ask you, because mm -hmm. we often hear that the challenge of the church is to find out what God is doing and then go there. Where did mm -hmm. you see God moving in the ministries that you were involved with? I saw God everywhere in lots of ways. Um, I, Sacred Trinity... And, and they will have no issue with me saying this, you know, it's a weird little place sometimes. It really, really is. All kinds of characters coming through the doors. You never know, right? And I think that is what God is doing, right? Um, getting us away from this kind of normative expectation of what church should be. Doing these little events that uh, might not seem like something in the big scheme of things, but they're really providing community for people who need it. Um, something like a place of welcome, being open. Uh, we, at the same time as that, uh, offered this space, partnered with Salford City Council, Salford being the borough of Manchester that uh, Sacred Trinity is in, um, to do a talk English health history walk. Um, for a large group of uh, people from Hong Kong who are immigrating to the UK very quickly and don't know the area, don't speak English very well. So we had the building open and a lot of them didn't come to church on Sundays with us, but we were, we were a spot for them on the map. Sacred Trinity does a community choir on Monday nights, not a church choir, a community choir, that the church music director runs. Um, so it's open to everyone. And, you know, people would come in there who, once again, they aren't in any way connected to that church in a religious way. Yet at the same time, I would often reflect on that if something happened and Sacred Trinity, you know, was going to be torn down or something like that, those are the people who would be showing up and saying, well, you can't do that. That's where I go to church right? Without ever having been in a service. I think God is leading us, you know, as a God of connections into different ways for doing that, that are outside of just come sit here on a Sunday morning in a pew, and that's church for you. And I think sacred Trinity is, you know, in a great position, you know, even if it's not reflected in the number of people you have sitting in seats on a Sunday, or if it's not reflected in a bank account. And that's lots of small churches, even in our own country. Um, that doesn't mean the potential there isn't huge. I, I, I've asked you what you saw God doing uh, mm -hmm. in the community around you. 
what was God doing inside of you during your time there? Very good question. Um, I think God was doing lots of things inside of me <laughs> in terms of not, um, well, for starters, like I said, giving me that experience with all those different people. Um, I think that was something God was doing, bringing up in my mind all the time. I think God was having people, you know, I, I think God speaks to us in many ways. Sometimes, you know, for some people that is literally hearing, you know, they're conscious, that's still a small voice. But I also think God really speaks a lot through other people. I think it was having other people say things to me, name gifts, recognize something, make comments that um, I would grab onto, right? Um, always reflecting back to those passages in the gospel where Mary says, and she took these things and treasured them, pondered them. Um, I think we all have experiences where we have things said to us, and we don't know what to do with it right away, but we know, mm, I need to hold on to this. I think God was doing and moving me through that, um, giving me a very different view of life and what um what life is meaningful what life is um how life can play out in all kinds of different ways not like mine and still be you know the life god intended the life god wanted us to have uh, i think it's very easy as an american to think like everyone wants to be american everyone wants to be living our life our our dreams right I did not meet a single person who said that to me, right? Hmm. I think I took that as God's kind of saying, you know, life is beautiful and how, you know, you are, you, you are born and kind of it plays out in your place with your community. Um, sorry, I feel like I'm waffling a bit, like so many thoughts are coming to mind. But yeah, uh, but you know, I, I hear, I hear this message of grow where you're planted. I hear this message of, there's another message that you've been saying over and over again. Mm -hmm. And we Lutherans call it the external call. Mm -hmm. How the Holy yeah. Spirit works through other people to name something on behalf of God for us. Yeah, absolutely. Is, is that how you would see it? Yes, 100%. I feel like that happened many times throughout the year. Yeah. Can you tell me, um, as this year drew to a close, what, what did you experience as you knew that the time was going to come to an end? I've always been someone who's conscious of endings, right? Whether that was at college for four years whether that was a summer at camp right all things are passing away all the time and i think that gets back to the holding loosely the gifts you've been given um i reflected on that a lot as the year was wrapping up and feeling that you know these people are a gift god has given me right but a lot of gifts god gives us aren't permanent gifts they're things we get for a season, we get to have for a little bit, and then we have to give them up. 
whether that's giving them up to God, giving them up to the next person who's supposed to steward them. Um, and I think that really helps with being okay with the transition. Uh, I was definitely emotional as my year wound down, but keeping that in mind and also then taking the chance to be grateful, right? Tell people what you have, what they have meant to you during this past year, what they have said to you, done for you, how you're going to hold to that tightly, even as you're holding to them loosely. Um, take the chance to be the external call for someone else and say, I've seen how you're doing this and this place while I was here and I'm leaving, but it's good to know you'll still be doing that. Uh, that helps make that transition a bit uh, easier to bear. And also, that is the beauty in such transitions. We're always going through them. Uh, you know, I think it's when you're young, it's easy to think that life is long periods of stability marked with occasional changes. As you get older into high school, college age, you start to realize actually life is just lots of change marked by small periods of stability. Stability. And the things I've taken opportunities of, Yagam, Camp, um, especially, have very finite limits attached to them. And sometimes that makes it a bit more difficult. And yet, I couldn't imagine not accepting kind of the pain of having to say goodbye or go through that transition. It's incredibly worth it. Do you stay in contact with the folks in Manchester? Yes, yes, quite regularly. Um, I, I hear from uh, I, I hear from them uh, asking how you know how's life in America? How am I settling back in? I do talk to my host, um, Mom Michaela, a good amount. She she loves making crossword puzzles. So I've gotten a few in the mail uh, that are a really nice kind of thing to do. And all the clues are from my year uh, back back there. And that's the beautiful thing about experiences like this now, right? In terms of it's not Pony Express days, right? You aren't moving across the country or the world to never see people again. Most and a lot of, well, you know, Western countries, at least, you can still be in regular touch with people as long as you can adapt to the difference in time. What did you bring back with you from Great your question. experience? And, and and it's are you talking about like a gift or like a possession? No. Or a, no, I'm. I mean, a, I I was thinking about inside of you. Okay. What did you What did you bring back that you didn't have when you went inside of you? You know, getting back to that word flexibility. I think even going to a Western industrialized country, the pace of life is different. I felt like people are busy. And yet at the same time, they were busy in more meaningful ways. You know, it's not a meeting being prior. And this just might have been my host family, my host community, right? But what I saw through them was a way of prioritizing the people, being okay with letting life flow to you a bit. Um, yes, they're always thinking of the next thing, but it's not this kind of rushed, rushed, hurry, hurry, we got to get there this second or all is lost. That I feel like is 
really present and draining in American culture at the moment. And mm. coming back, I feel like I've been able to lean into that a lot more in terms mm. of, oh, I've made this plan. Oh, it's not going to happen. Well, that's okay. You know, it'll either come back. And if it doesn't, that's okay too. Um, I, and I've, I read a really good book um, this past August since getting home. A book that I'd actually heard about at camp last summer, summer of 2022, bought while I was in England, it sat on my shelf in England and came home with me. And I finally said, right, I've got to get this book off my shelf. Um, but it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Um, and I really would uh, recommend it because it talks about how, you know, if you read the scriptures, hear about Jesus's life, one thing you realize is that Jesus is rarely, if ever, in a hurry. And how do we reflect in like our modern society where everything is rushed? And I connected a lot of that book with my time in England in terms of, I get that being able to do a year abroad or a year of service is a massive privilege, right? Lots of people need to be working. They need to be doing the next thing. Um, I was able to lean out of that in a different way. But how can we all incorporate that into our lives is an interesting question. What, what message would you have for a young adult who may be loosely connected with the church? or maybe has detached from the church, what message would you have based upon your experience of, of the camp and then being a young adult in global mission? Find a way, um, find, find what church is for you, I guess, to find church in your own way, right? I sit in a pew on Sunday mornings. I find life in being in that kind of a setting. I know not everyone does. I know it's hard to sometimes look around and not see people your own age all the time, right? But when I'm doing that, I'm thinking of the people I've met at camp, the people I'm going to see in my abide group that Sunday night, right? We've been meeting almost weekly for three years now. I think of people in England and all of those experiences only parts of them, and by that I mean very small percentages, took place in appeal, right? And yet, all of them were church in some way. I think it's looking to see God in your everyday life that, you know, I connect that back to my church and my faith in a way that reinvigorates me as I go into that space. It's, it sounds like these these experiences have broadened your vision of where the mission of the church is, or even well, the presence of the church is. Absolutely. And, you know, that makes me think of two things. First, Yagam does a beautiful thing of emphasizing that um, as a young adult global mission, we do not bring god anywhere right god is already where you're going it's very different than the model of mission hmm. that was once out there i yeah. didn't take god to england or to the people of sacred trinity or manchester god was already there and already very busy without me there hopefully 
I got to bring my faith, my story, how I see God to them in a way that helped them see God in a different way. But they did the same right back to me, right? Mm. To your point about the world broadening, it's interesting because the world feels both a whole lot bigger now and a whole lot smaller at just the same time. If you get what I'm saying in that, I do. They, you know, you know, this community in Manchester, it is on a whole other continent, right? It is, you know, a place where people with vastly different languages and lived experiences are coming um, and living together. At the same time, while I was over there, I kept thinking, oh, it was only an eight-hour flight, right? You know, it, it, I can still be connected to my home community. Life is still going on there. And I'm now doing kind of the reciprocal now that I'm back here. And it makes it all feel a bit more interconnected. What's next for you, Ethan? So, uh, once again, getting to this how does God open doors naturally kind of thing, lead you to the next thing. So I came back, um, not sure what was next, as I had thought that part of my time in England was going to be figuring out what am I going to do career-wise, grad school-wise, what have you. Uh, but by September, I kind of just felt something starting to say, you know, if you focus all on that, you're going to really miss being present here. And I think that's another lesson I've taken from this past year and that connects to that being in a hurry thing, as being present no matter where you are, right? So I came back, not really sure what the next thing was. And as I said, I went to Capitol for undergraduate and I was having uh, lunch with a friend uh, at the start of August. And she said, hey, someone from Capital reached out to me about this full-time job. I don't really have time, grad student, to apply for it, but maybe you'd be interested. And I thought, oh, well, yeah, sure, maybe I can do that. And so um, I then went and traveled for a few weeks to see people. I was actually out in Colorado at camp uh, volunteering for a week. And I went, oh, I was going to apply for that job there. So I applied. And went through the interview process, and I could just tell that was where God was opening the door. It was the path of least resistance all of a sudden. So yeah. I'm currently back at Capital as uh, I have a very long title, but the Assistant Director of Alumni Engagement and Annual Giving. So, uh, of course, connecting us with our alumni, also thinking uh, how do we, uh, through annual giving, really steward the gifts we have in terms of creating a good student experience and hopefully lived experience even after you're not there, but still connect back. It sounds to me, Ethan, like you have learned how to take your oars out of the water a bit. <laughs> I guess and so. Let, and let God flow you where you need to go. Yeah, um, I, I think I do really really trust God in that way. And once again, it, it gets back to that, you know, um, super religious question, right? I don't, I don't see it as doing that all the time. I just, part of it seems almost like second nature, I suppose. But um, yeah, balancing, having a drive, having things you want to do, but then leaning into God has plans for you, ideas for you that are far beyond what you might be thinking. 
if a person who was listening to this wanted to explore young adults in global mission, what would they do? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I highly encourage you to do so if you're thinking about that. Uh, you can check out the ELCA website. Uh, they have a YAGM uh, tab. Go in there, search YAGM. There's tons of information. They're now doing rolling applications. So uh, you, uh, when I applied, it was kind of you have to apply by this date to then be in for the next year. Now they're, they're just going all the time. So you can be applying for this next year. And even after that deadline is passed, you can be working on an application for the cycle after that. Ethan, I am uh, so grateful for the time that you've agreed to spend talking and thinking about your, your year in England as a, a young adult in global mission. Um, there is so much more I could ask you. Uh, maybe, maybe another conversation, another time. Uh, but I would thank you. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. And thank you for your service uh, to other people uh, through the church. And, and same back to all of you at the Southern Ohio Synod. Thanks, Ethan. This is Pastor Rebecca Great, the media ambassador and storyteller for the Southern Ohio Synod. And I want to thank you one more time for joining us for this podcast episode. There were several resources and groups mentioned in this episode that we want to help you get connected with. If you would like to learn more about what the ELCA is doing with ministry specifically for young adults, you can check them out online at www.elca.org slash young adults. There is also information on this page about the next Abide group, which begins in January 2024, this month. ELCA Young Adults also has accounts on Facebook, Instagram, X, and TikTok, all using the handle at ELCA Young Adults. If you want to learn more about the Young Adults and Global Mission Program with the ELCA, you can visit www.elca.org slash YAGM for more information about the host countries and the rolling application process. They are also on Facebook, Instagram, and X, all using the handle at ELCA Yagam. If you want to learn more about what camping ministry looks like, either as a volunteer or as a staff person, we invite you to check out Lutheran Outdoor Ministries at www.lomnetwork.org. On their website, there is a find a site feature where you can explore all of the Lutheran outdoor ministry sites across the country. If you have questions about any of the content or you want to continue the conversation about how the ELCA is involved in ministry across the world, you can connect with Pastor Bob Abrams by sending him an email. His email address is rabrams at southernohiosynod.org. Until the next time we gather on this podcast, remember that we are stronger and better together, joining Jesus in the restoration of the world.